Welcome to the Stay Healthy Salt Lake podcast, a podcast focused on providing resources, information, and education on how to stay healthy in and around Salt Lake. And now, here's your host, Josh Hall. All right, welcome to the Stay Healthy Salt Lake podcast. This is Josh, and with me today is Dr. Rick Henriksen, the owner of Kestrel Wellness, a membership-based integrative primary care clinic. Welcome, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me here. It's great to it's great to meet you and great to be here with your listeners. Yeah, it's great. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey and kind of how you got to this point. What Tell the people what your background is. Yeah, sure. I feel like you maybe have opened up a can of worms here to get a 20-minute <laughs> d- uh, discourse from me. But um, I guess in general, so I'm a, I'm a family doctor. I was trained in traditional kind of Western medicine. I went to an allopathic uh, medical school, went to a school in, in New York State called Albert Einstein College of Medicine. I grew up, even before that, I grew up here in Salt Lake. So I am a, I'm a local to Salt Lake and have been here and in and out my whole life. And so I decided I wanted to, to leave for medical school, went out to, to New York, and then, and then came back to Salt Lake to do my residency in family medicine at the University of Utah Family Medicine Residency Program. Um, loved it there, um, finished that that up. And then I stayed on as a faculty member for a few years. And I loved, I loved um, being up there. I taught medical students, residents for a lot of years and had a really good experience, but it was time for kind of a, a next step in my career and decided to, to then leave that practice and leave teaching and to open up my own clinic. And so that's, that's kind of where I am now is that I, two years ago, I started my, started my clinic and, and here I am seeing, seeing folks here with that background in, in academics it's kind of interesting. I thought I would stay in academics my whole mm-hmm. my whole career, and you know, as as things change and as 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 we change, I think I really wanted to get a more um, more personal touch with my patients, have a closer relationship, which was which was quite difficult in kind of the the setup that fifteen minute you know short um, or five minute short, kind of short interview mm-hmm. with patients is very difficult to to create that relationship, and so. That was that was part of that impetus, and there's there's more details that we can go into if you're interested. But yeah, that's of kind of that that's kind of the the overview. Yeah, let's take a step back first. Tell me tell me what made you want to be a doctor in the first place. Oh gosh, wow, going <laughs> very far back. So I'm one of those very very lucky folk who um, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from like age 12. Wow, um, something very young. I um, I just remember being in junior high, and you had you know pick your classes in junior high. And I, I remember picking my classes to prep for the classes I needed in high school to get into medical school, like into in college for medical school. So I knew from a very young age, I took like human physiology and in, um, in high school. So I was very, very clear in my direction, which, and it was nice that it never, it never changed. Um, I was able to kind of stay that same route. And I, I felt a passion for it and felt a love for being a doctor. I am. Um, I really love science. I love figuring out problems and I'm very curious and I love, I love the curiosity of, of asking people and talking to them as well. So I love asking people questions and I love talking to them about what could be going on. And so for me, like figuring out that puzzle, but then also um, with that science background and that kind of um, that personal touch, that's really what drove me to continue on in medicine. For me, it was like one step led to another and they just continued to reinforce my desire of helping helping patients and hunting and helping people out in that way. It was interesting. Um, when I was in college, you know, I, um, I knew I wanted to be a physician, but people were like, what type of physician? I really didn't know what type. And I kind of, I did have some, um, 
some background and some, you know, I was shadowing some folks, but I didn't have any family members who were physicians. I didn't, my dad and family and nobody else was in the medical field. So I was really kind of searching it out on my own. And I knew going into medical school that I was interested in some type of preventive type care. I thought maybe cardiology, I'd done some research in cardiology. And then as I, as I went into medical school, um, I was, we, we, in our first year, so we'd have different types of doctors come in and kind of talk about what their, their specialties were, what, you know, what they did on a day-to-day basis. And, and we had, um, this woman, her name, Janet Townsend, um, good mentor of mine. She came in and started talking about family medicine and to be honest, I have actually had never heard of a family doctor. Like, I didn't even know they existed. I knew there was pediatricians and adult doctors, but I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a family doctor. And she started talking about what she did, and she saw kids, and she saw adults, and worked on prevention. I'm like, and just a light bulb went off. And I remember sitting, I know the lecture hall I was in, the, you know, the time that she was giving this, and I just knew that I wanted to be a family doctor. So it was once again very clear, very on, very early on in my medical career, too, that I wanted to be a family doctor which was also nice because other other friends of mine and other students, they just didn't, they were kind of searching out and change, you know, year to year, month to month, they would change which specialty they wanted to go into. But for me, I had a very clear direction too. I wanted to be a family doctor. I wanted to take care of, of folks of all ages and do preventive medicine. And and so, you know, that, that was also a blessing for me that I was able to figure that out very clearly. It was actually interesting. I was able to see her just a few years ago at a conference and kind of tell her my story. I'm like, you inspired me that same, that lecture. And that was really a fun experience to see her and, and, and have that experience of like, you know, this is what I want to do. And I want to help patients in this way. And it made it very clear and easy for me. That's amazing that you had such, such clarity from such a young age. Yeah, That's I know. really it, remarkable. It really. Yeah. I think it's, it's a, it's, it was a blessing for me for sure because, um, and it wasn't just that I was forced into that either. It was also that I enjoyed it. It, it made sense and it felt good for me to continue to do it. Wow, amazing. Uh, you mentioned how your practice is a little bit different. You wanted to be able to spend a little bit more time with people. Kind of, um, You talked a little bit about why you started your business, but tell the people kind of what led you there and what makes it different. And I think a lot of people maybe don't quite understand that part of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um so this is actually, so my career has changed. It hasn't always been the same path. I did have a big course correction and that, um, that was a couple of years ago. So when in a traditional kind of regular family medicine clinic, you'll, you'll, you'll have a patient that usually has insurance. Um, a doctor will get paid based on the billing code that they submit. You know, they, they see a patient for a few minutes, they write a note. Um, and then we would, you know, then I would, I would send in that, that note basically with a billing code. And depending on the level, the complexity, it would pay out a certain rate and insurance would pay. That's like a traditional kind of fee for service model. Mm-hmm. And, and that model is not great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really terrible for doctors. It's terrible for patients. And it really is not great for the society as a whole either, especially in specifically in primary care. So what it does is that fee for service model. If, if you have to pay every single time you go in and see your doctor, then that doctor is going to be incentivized to have you come in more often. The more often you come in, they get paid. They don't, and they don't get paid if they don't do things when you're not there either. So outreach, proactive care is not really incentivized in that payment model. Mm-hmm. Patients, you know, are frustrated because they don't want to go in, they don't want to pay their copay, they don't want to pay for the whole visit, and it really kind of prevents them also from going into seeing their doctor or getting care. And it's it's really, you know, for example, we can use like blood, high blood pressure for example. High blood pressure 
is something that doesn't really need a visit, right? You can get your blood pressure checked at home or by a nurse. The doctor doesn't have to see you in person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is obviously nice to have that relationship in person, but for like the follow-ups, you just don't need to go in for a high blood pressure check. Mm-hmm. And it prevents the patient going in and it it just doesn't incentivize good care. So instead, um, my model is, is really helps align the incentives for both the patient and the doctor. So instead of me charging every single time a patient comes in, I charge a monthly fee. So an upfront monthly fee, patients are then able to see me as needed wow. during that month. Right. So if they need to get for blood pressure, right? So I see them for a first visit, we check a blood pressure and we come up with a plan and then we can text, we can do video conferencing, but I don't have to have that patient come in physically every single time Mm -hmm. to just talk about their blood pressure. There's so many things you can do remotely that can help out with that, that patient that doesn't require them to come into that visit every time. Cause every time a patient goes into the doctor, they have to leave work or leave their kids or find a babysitter or whatever it is. It's such an impact and that societal cost on that day is very large. Now, obviously, there are things that you need to go inside and see the provider for. And so I have that available also. But for a lot of this um, kind of routine or or work through wellness or fitness or, you know, if you're if you're changing your nutrition, you just don't necessarily need to have an in-person visit for that every single time. And so you're able to leverage a lot of that technology and, and it really works well in a lot of areas. So, so I have a membership-based practice, which means that pay, people become members of my clinic. They pay a monthly fee. And then we deliver care. I deliver care to them on a basis that makes sense for them in that time constraint. So sometimes I do have patients come in once a week and they have something going on. They can come in very frequently, but then other months I won't see them and we'll just do text messaging. And, and so when I talk to patients, it's almost like you have to think about it. You're paying for a year's worth of care. And you're just doing like monthly installments on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you're going to have times in the year where you're going to be using me a lot and other times when you're not going to be coming in at all. Mm-hmm. And and this also is great for the doctor. So for me as a physician, like I don't have to continually try to upsell people that, oh, you got to come in, come in to see me for your blood pressure because then you know, that's the only time I get paid or I get more time with my patients. I can do things remotely. And it, it also, for me as a provider, it provides a, a consistent salary. So I don't have to worry week to week if I'm going to get money from that insurance company because I have that relationship that's ongoing with my patients. And it really allows me to have less stress in those areas too. So I can help out patients without being very much consumed with getting more patients in the door or, or whatnot because I have, I have that ability to kind of relax a little bit because I have a more consistent salary income coming in. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely everything that uh, Dr. Henriksen says there resonates with me. I've worked in the fee for service model and outside of that on my own model. And I'm with you there. Like, you know, it's, it's best for the patients. It's best for the practitioner and definitely higher level quality of care. So, yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, some ways it doesn't work for everything, right? You have to think about like a lot of what I do as a family doctor and working in integrative medicine, it's more intellectual talking, thinking, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily hands-on, right? So right. physical therapist or massage therapist, like it's harder to have that kind of model because you kind of have to have them in the clinic more mm-hmm. often. But, but even like with physical therapy, there's, there's a lot of things like mm-hmm. home programs and things you can do, reach Absolutely. out that you could do potentially mm-hmm. without having them necessarily come in. So there are, you know, it's interesting to think about how you can kind of change the structure of payment mm-hmm. models and not necessarily get stuck in what we've always done as that's the best because there can always be like improvements in those areas. 
Awesome. So we talked a little bit about asynchronous care. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what that means and yeah. how you incorporate that in your out of your practice? I yeah, guess yeah. So, yeah. Asynchronous care. So when you when we're talking about synchronous care, um, it's when I'm on the phone at the same time as the patient or we're in the room at the same time. So anytime we're delivering kind of care or wellness or or talking at this exact same time, that would be like in synchrony to each other. Asynchronous means that for example, like you have a sore throat. And so Josh, you're like, okay, I got a sore throat and I got to talk to my doctor about it. Or I want to get some, figure out what to do. And, and you are at work, right? So you're busy or you, you have your kids or, or whatever is going on. You can send a message to me. And then what I can do is then I can send a message back and be like, okay, here are the, here are the series of questions or video that I want you to send me things that I want you to do. And then in your own time in the next couple hours, um, or half day, you send me more information, and then I, I I read that, I understand that, and then I get back to you. So we're able to deliver care kind of throughout the day, but you don't have to drop everything, and like we don't have to have our our schedules exactly linked up. Now it doesn't work for everything, and so sometimes you do need to obviously be on the phone call together. And but other things are really great in this this kind of back and forth type of care, and that's kind of the art. Like as as we this type of you know delivering care is new. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, I really should have just gotten on the phone with that patient. That would have like saved a lot of time or mm-hmm. I really should have done a video chat. And so those are the things that we're learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and patients are also learning like, um, you know, if a patient is sending multiple paragraphs of information to me, I'm like, it's probably time to have a phone call mm-hmm. because at that point it's probably more complex and we can get a lot of answers very quickly mm-hmm. rather than spending a lot of back and forth time. So you have to really kind of figure that out. And that's something that has improved over time mm-hmm. with my clinic also. Awesome. Tell, tell the people where you're located at for those that aren't familiar. Yeah. So my clinic, um, so I have a physical space, so it's not a huge space because I only see patients one at a time. Mm-hmm. So I don't need like a giant space either, which is really nice. Um, my, my clinic is on 9th South and 2nd East. We're just down the street from your, your clinic, actually, also. We just, we just figured that out. But I'm in a building called the Maven Building, which is a brand new building that has multiple different services inside of it. So there's folks that are doing beauty work, but then also other health-related fields. And so that's, that's on 2nd East. Sorry, that's um, about 2nd East and on 9th South. So pretty close to downtown, close to freeway entrances. And so I see folks kind of from, from all over into my practice. So it's, so, you know, I see people from far away too. They'll, they'll come in from one visit and then we'll do a lot of what we're doing remotely, um, which is nice too. So they don't necessarily have to come in and see me every time um, on that as well. Amazing. So um, some people might be nervous or, you know, unsure about, you know, seeing somebody with a different style of healthcare. Maybe they've never experienced it before and they're just a little afraid or fearful what would you, what advice would you give them on maybe trying out something new? Yeah, no, I think for sure. I think, um, one thing, I think there are people that are looking for new things. And so I think patients are also getting kind of fed up with our system. So if you're frustrated, you're like, Oh, I can't believe I have to sit here in this doctor's office for two hours. Like, so that means that you probably should, you can try something new. So if you're totally happy in the system that you're in now, like, keep doing it. Like that's not for me to like say if you're, if you're not happy, but if you're a little frustrated or you feel like it could be better, then I think you just try it. And that's where in, you know, working with me, I don't keep patients kind of locked into a long-term contract. So the way my contracts work is you can pay yearly and you get a discount for doing that, but it's also monthly. So you decide month to month, you can cancel anytime you want, or I can, I can end the relationship. So either party can end the relationship at any time that they want. 
And that actually is a very good incentive for me as the provider. Like I have to continue to deliver good care to this person or else they, they can go seek care elsewhere. So you can give it a shot. It's, you know, the, the upfront investment is not large. You can kind of come in, see, see how things go. We can work together for a few months. And, and if it's not working, it's not working. If it's not a good fit, then you can definitely find somebody else and I can help you find resources for somebody else. But, but if it works great, then we, then potentially we have this relationship for a couple of years. And I have, you know, I have patients that, have, that I've been in my practice for years and years, some that followed me from the university and are still in my practice. So I think, I think that people can give, you know, new ways to try. I think there's, there's very little risk in for, for most folks and giving something new a try. Amazing. Sounds like a whole nother level of accountability than the typical healthcare yeah, experience. Yeah. So. so, you know, it's one of those things where like when I was up at the university, you know, or in a regular clinic, sometimes you just don't hear back from patients and you have no idea. Like I'll see a patient, give them instructions, and then you never see them or hear them from them again. You're like, you have no idea if what I suggested actually worked or not. And, and it's kind of frustrating as a doctor because you just don't know, did they go somewhere else? Did they get better? But in this model, I actually hear back from my patients. Like <laughs> if they're not getting better, I hear back and wow. then we come up with new solutions. Wow, it sounds like something that actually works. Yeah, That's right. Amazing. <laughs> or it doesn't work. If what I'm doing is not working, right. then I want to know about it right. because then we got to try something different. Don't just go try somebody else and kind of bounce around. But it really is like better for me and my skills too that mm-hmm. I can I can improve in what I'm doing. So so that in that way it's it's quite it's it is quite fun um, that I actually get feedback back from my patients. Amazing. So you're an athlete yourself. Tell the people what you love to do. Oh yeah. So I've been a lifelong athlete. Um, I grew up, you know, in Salt Lake here. So I was open up in the mountains and camping and, and my journey is a little bit different. Um, I was always athletic, always did team sports, but, but then when I went to medical school out in New York, I had a really hard time finding my avenue for health in that area movement. There's just there wasn't the same team sports around. I tried soccer, I tried planes, but I just couldn't figure out how to like work it into my schedule. As I got busier out of college, you know, I, I just couldn't figure out how to create exercise and movement in my lifestyle. And so when I moved back to Salt Lake City, I was in my residence, my first year of residence in my intern year, and it's a very stressful year. I was overweight, I had high blood pressure, I wasn't happy. I wasn't sleeping and all these, you know, all these things that I was trying to tell my patients to do that I wasn't doing. And I felt really much like kind of like a poser. I was really not, you know, I had a lot of um, self-doubt that I was helping patients. So I decided I needed to make some changes and get figure out health for myself. Hmm. And that's when I actually started doing triathlon. A friend of mine invited me to do a triathlon. And I went to my first race. I'd never been to a race before. I'd never run, biked, never done any of that in like a, in kind of a racing atmosphere. And I loved it. It was so fun. Everyone was like geared towards health and there was a lot of energy and I just fed off of that. And it was very inspiring. So I pulled my dad's old Bianchi um, road bike out of the woodshed. <laughs> I got it fixed up, started doing triathlon. And, and I really just really um, felt like a connection to the folks that I working with the community there, but then also in my own ability to like perform and do things that I wasn't able to do before. And I've also figured out that this type of um, more solitary endurance sport worked well in my schedule. So mm. I was trying to hammer in team sports into a schedule and a lifestyle that I wasn't able to do those types of things. Mm. And so I had to find another avenue. And that's when 
triathlon really made sense for me. I could bike, run, swim on my own schedule in short intervals, and and it really worked well for me. And then I uh, was in the off season, so winter in Utah, it's not very much fun to, oh, yeah. to ride bikes or run outside, <laughs> which I do. But I was like, oh, I need to find something during the winter. Yeah. And, and that's when I found CrossFit. And awesome. so this was about 10 years ago that I went into a CrossFit gym. Actually, a patient of mine um, um, owned a CrossFit gym. And, and so I went, I went into her CrossFit gym. And, and once again, the community was amazing. Mm-hmm. The people, everyone working towards goals. And, and it was just a, a thing that really inspired me. So then that started off as a way for me to kind of do that in the off season. And then almost like that took over for about five years. And that was my primary way of, of working out and, 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 and lifting and, and really building strength and, and working on um, body mechanics and movement. And, and I really learned so much from being an athlete in that area and, and competing in CrossFit. So anyway, that, that just really springboarded to like, okay, well, what else is out there? What other sports are there? And yeah. so then I, I kind of like just started doing any sport that I could get, get my hands on. So yeah. skiing a lot and obviously in Utah and I was cycling and, and, um, now I'm doing jujitsu, which is really kind of a, a been a fun new sport to try as well. And so that has just kind of led me down to, to trying new things and, and really adding in a new sport a year. So rock climbing, I, I did for, you know, added that in. And, and so now my, now my schedule, it fluctuates. I, I still bike race. So this last Saturday I was doing a cyclocross bike race. Um, but then I also went after right from there, I went to watch my friends do jujitsu in a tournament. Um, so it's really kind of a, it adds a lot of flavor. So I do mm-hmm. a variety of different um, sports. And so most of my patients, when they come in and whatever sport that they are doing, I probably have some background in some kind of way, I've probably either attempted it or tried it or doing it now. And that's, and that's really fun for me. I played, you know, competitive soccer growing up and a lot of, I mean, all the team sports plus all these kind of more endurance sports. And so that's, that gives me a a nice perspective too. when I'm working with patients of that, I understand where they're coming from and the terminology Mm -hmm. they use. So I work with a lot of athletes because I think athletes, you know, we, you know, if we do get injured, it's, there's a mindset we want to get back. So I understand that pressure for Mm -hmm. patients of wanting to get back into sport or wanting to, you know, to always be improving. So, you know, if, if mountain biker comes in, like I understand, like I know that language, like I mountain bike regularly. So I understand what happens or, or when they're talking about an issue or, or a pain in their knee or a fitness related thing, I'm able to kind of um, talk about it on their level because I've participated and still participate in, in that sport. So I think you'd be hard pressed to find a sport that I haven't at least done <laughs> dabbled in a little bit. I even um, recently there's um, you know, pickleball is like mm-hmm. really popular right now. So I actually, the last couple of weeks I've been playing pickleball with my cousin, learning the sport, trying to figure out how to get that to work. You know, it's very different than racquetball, the sports that are, anyway, so anyway, it's uh, trying to pick up new sports and always trying new things, I think, um, is a lot of fun, but also helps me to kind of appreciate where patients are coming from. Awesome. Sounds like a great perspective. Do you have uh, a favorite lift or a favorite CrossFit workout? Yeah. So if I, I love, um, I love a, a, um, a power clean. So power clean is probably my favorite lift. Um, like a, a nice set of like a, a moderate, not like a super heavy set, but like a, a set, like three sets of eight, just power and not even like, not even going overhead, just doing the power clean. Like for some reason, I really love that as like a, as a pure movement. Um, like your whole body's engaged. Mm-hmm. Your, your mind has to be engaged. It's a super quick movement. Um, it engages your hips, which is super important. 
um, you know if you're doing it right because your back isn't hurting afterwards. Like there's a there's so many things that you can learn about yourself and and mm-hmm. doing just some power some power cleans. But I would say like if it was a workout, one of my favorite workouts there's probably two um, that I also really love, and that is when I was when I was training for triathlon. There was nothing better than doing a set of um, of back squats. So a super heavy set back squats, like a set of three, three or five, just one, just one set, and then busting out the door and running an 800 meter or 400 meter Mm -hmm. and doing like five cycles of that. So that was also like to to get ready for triathlon. Like I loved that as a workout. I also love mile repeats. It's been Mm -hmm. a little while since I've done them and it's the most terrible thing you can think about. But if you go outside doing mile repeats, like Bust under a mile as fast as you can, mm-hmm. you know, taking some time off, cool down, and then, and then busting it. Like, yeah. I love that. So yeah. those kind of short, intense workouts yeah. really um, are the ones that I love the most. Yeah, combining that heavy lifting with the running, man, that gets pretty brutal. Yeah, too. no, it's brutal. <laughs> you yeah, like, there. Yeah, no, and the thing about it, though, is, like, your your legs learn, right? So oh, yeah. the muscle, and that's where, like, for triathlon specifically, is like you go from that bike, very, you know, intense, hard leg workout, and then you're going right into the run mm-hmm. and it's a very, it's a shift mm-hmm. and your, your brain has to learn how your neurologic system has to learn how to make that shift. And I think the squatting to running um, really helped out. In yeah. That I well. love that too. Cause I've noticed that my legs always actually feel stronger when I squat and run virtually. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm just running without squatting beforehand. Right. And, and yet yeah. your legs are in a better position. You have a better, you have a better um, form when you're, when you're doing that way. Cause you, you, you have to kind of forefoot strike and you have to get into a better forum when you're doing that or else you're going to have a really hard run. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to like, you have to pick up your game on that. Cool. Cool. All right, guys, we're going to take a, a quick com- commercial break to hear from our sponsor and we'll uh, be right back with more to discuss from Dr. Henriksen. At Hall Physical Therapy, we help active adults and athletes get rid of frustration, get off the couch and get back to running, lifting, and playing the sports that they love without the need for painkillers, injections, or surgery. As a special offer for this episode from Hall Physical Therapy, we're offering you a free discovery session for you to come in and find out what's wrong and what can be done to help you get back to doing the things that you like to do. Just contact us at 385-429-2018. That's 385-429-2018. And let us know you've listened to our podcast. And now back to the show. All right, guys, we're back with Dr. Henriksen, and uh, we're going to just discuss a little bit more. So, uh, tell me, your practice involves ancestral health. Uh, tell us what that is and why is it so important? Yeah, so ancestral health is a term um, that that I really like because um, it helps it helps gives us a framework. Another word that we use is evolutionary medicine. Um, another another kind of a topic about that, but really what it is is looking at um, the way that our bodies were formed over time, or the way that we developed, or you know, as we re- revert back to looking at how our bodies and how we lived back in the past, we can look at and and try to see things about our current situation of how we should be living, eating, and working on things. So it's a framework that I use whenever I'm looking at like a. a a problem or something that comes in with with an issue is how does how is our bodies how are we designed kind of over time through evolution um, and and how did we get to this point because that helps us give a framework about okay so what should we be doing now for the past so 
Um, that was a very long-winded way of kind of saying, um, we, you know, we look at our ancestors and we look at what people were doing um, over the, you know, the course of millennia to see what would be the best way for our bodies to live now. So obviously we can't do everything exactly the same, right? Modern life is different than it was back then, but I think we can glean some insights um, into, into, our, into our current process. So for example, you know, we were talking about pickleball. If someone comes in and they're having like a pickleball elbow injury or something, you're like, okay, well, clearly like this is a, a, a sport or something that we're moving our body in a certain way that doing that repetitively a whole bunch of times is might not have been something that evolutionary was in our background. But what are the things that we can do? How can we structure? How we can move? Or how can we stand to maybe improve what we were, what we can do to decrease that injury? So things that we can look at. So sitting, right? So if you can, we're both sitting right now doing this podcast, <laughs> but um, if, can we stand more? Can we move? How can we change the way that we're sitting or, or in, or can we squat more things that we can do that, well, that will change the way our bodies are designed and that can improve our health. So one of the most common things we look at right now, or, or people know about is a paleo diet. So paleo, um, really that's what it comes from is that's the nutrition component of this ancestral health um, that's related to kind of this evolutionary medicine. So um, when we look at the way we eat, we can look back at the way our ancestors eat, and that would probably have dictated something in our evolutionary biology that said, this is the best thing for us. And if you ate this way, you're going to be better off and you're going to pass your genes on. So, right? so this fitness component then, can, then came to our present day and say, okay, what are the foods that we should eat to best be healthy? And what can we do? So then we look at, now it's not going to be exactly right because we can't we can't go back in history. We can't go back to the way things were 20 or 30,000 years ago, but we can try to mimic some of those things that we're doing now to improve in our, in our nutrition. So clearly like things like sugar and, and, you know, artificial sweeteners and like mm -hmm. those foods clearly were not a huge part of our nutrition and, and we best done without them. And so we can also look at things like grains or dairy or whatever it is and kind of take a look at, is this going to be the best fit for you? And we can kind of at least gives us a framework on on how we should best be eating. And so when a study comes out or when you see some research about this or that, you're like, well, does this fit into that evolutionary perspective? Because if it doesn't, it for me, it doesn't necessarily make sense. I think all you know, all science, all biology kind of really has to be looked at in that kind of evolutionary lens or we're missing um, big components of, of what's happening there. Hmm. Makes sense. Where can people learn more about ancestral health? Yeah. So, I mean, I think um, Google, like there's a, <laughs> so there's a couple different societies. There's an evolutionary medicine group. Um, that's an international group um, that's called ISAMF, um, but International Society of Evolutionary Medicine um, and Biology. And so you can look at their website or um, there's Ancestor Health Society, which is a, which is a group also that has symposiums, um, other, other folks, you know, doing paleo nutrition or, or primal or just, you know, um, on my website or talk to me about it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. They can come see you and learn more. Tell us what are some common myths that you find people fall into involving their health? Are there any common ones that you see or? Yeah. Common myths. Oh man. I think common myths people see is that lab tests are like really important. <laughs> <laughs> lab values and lab tests. Yes. It can be helpful in diagnosing things, mm -hmm. but to be honest, um, we can get a lot of that information just from talking to each other. And, 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 you know, I think 
my my perspective is, you know, I'm a functional slash you know, integrative medicine doctor, and there are other folks that are providing this type of care in my community who, even before a patient walks in the door, they're ordering like $2,000 worth of testing. And I'm like, I don't really think we need to do that. Like, why don't we come in? Why don't we talk about what's really needed? And then, you know, a couple hundred dollars, maybe if we do need some testing, maybe we don't even need any testing. But there are some tests that are super important and very helpful, but mm-hmm. others that just aren't. Right. And um, and I think we need to like take a more personal look at some of that testing mm-hmm. because I think, you know, it's people's money and it's people's um, livelihood. And, and mm-hmm. I don't think we should squander that and, and use it um, unwisely. Right. So really they should be making sure they're seeing a practitioner that takes the time to do a thorough, you know, history with them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think um, a lot of folks are ordering tests on their own and then they bring them in and they don't really know how to interpret them. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, like, they are hard to interpret and some, and some, you know, some tests are just not accurate either. I think we, we sometimes think that these, that the lab tests we're doing is like going to tell us exactly what's happening, but there's so many errors also in lab testing, you know, mm-hmm. um, I use them, but you have to always take it as a grain of salt. Like we have to retest. I'm never going to give someone a diagnosis of diabetes based on like a one-time test. We have to, you know, do those over time. And so I think just taking a little bit, look that, that they're not going to solve your problem. Like we, you know, lifestyle changes are going to, you know, have this huge impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily need requirement of lab testing but but then i you know i order tests on folks like for example like a vitamin d you know a vitamin d test costs like 20 bucks to do it but man almost everybody's vitamin d is low they're mm-hmm. all suboptimal like i don't need to test people's vitamin d mm-hmm. but i do it because of also psychology too so some people like they just won't take their vitamin d pill unless they have like a number that shows they're low <laughs> right so i wish i could just like your vitamin d is low just take this yeah, thing yeah. and you would be better off because everybody yeah. that i test it's low yeah we live in utah but yeah. anyway so sometimes I'll, but that's like a 15 20 test right yeah we're not talking hundreds of dollars which i see some folks sometimes ordering too okay awesome i know you work a lot with autoimmune disease tell people a little bit more about um, you don't have to dive too deep, but kind of what yeah. is autoimmune disease and kind of how do you overcome it? How do you work with it? Oh, man, that's like so broad of a topic. Um, <laughs> yeah, so just give us a, a little <laughs> tidbit. <laughs> so autoimmune disease is when, I mean, just kind of a general term, is when your body's immune system um, is is going in accelerated mode and is starting to do things that are inappropriate. And what would have been evolutionary very helpful then becomes harmful. For example you you have your thyroid right so your thyroid can get attacked by antibodies and that those antibodies are that's an autoimmunity problem so the your body creates these own antibodies that then is attacking your own thyroid and making it so it doesn't work very well so what's causing that problem that's what we have to look at as kind of root cause like what was the inciting event and sometimes we don't know it could be it's mainly it's usually like a host of different things probably nutrition related or toxin related or something else that happened in in your previous life but you're you're set up in this way now that your body is starting to do things that are that are harmful for it so this was a system like when we look back evolutionarily like this made sense you wanted to have antibodies and you wanted to have these things to help um help your body out but then something's gone awry in that system because of our modern environments and it's just not working appropriately for mm-hmm. for what you need to have happen. So so yeah. So when someone comes in, you know, a lot of people will come in and they just have more vague symptoms like joint pain or brain fog or fatigue. In a lot of cases, those are some kind of autoimmune related, and we can kind of look at a root cause. Um, 
oftentimes, you know, that's also gut health related and we, we look there, but I think, you know, trying to look at, um, it as a, as a whole perspective of, of what could be causing some of those issues and, mm-hmm. and, and looking at some of those solutions. So, um, I mean, that's a very broad um, yeah, kind of no, answer. That's good. That's good. That's, that's perfect. good. Yeah. So, yeah. but I think, you know, folks, you know, that's something that it does take a little bit of time and, and, and effort to kind of dig in. Sometimes it's really tough. Like, and there, there are some patients that, I've worked with for a long time and we can't get a really good answer for, I wish we could figure out a better way and we're, and we're still struggling through some of the answers. These are very complex systems. And so, um, I don't, I'm not, I'm not one to go in there. I'm like, I have all the answers and you need to do this and exactly this is going to happen. And I just don't think that's the case. And a lot of these more complex diseases or syndromes is that we have to be open-minded and, and be looking at some of those solutions, but sometimes they're hard to find. Yeah, we spoke earlier about kind of you being an athlete and what you love to do. Tell us, tell us something that you think that um, would be important for athletes to know or hear about. Yeah, so that, I guess just that's um, feeding right off gut health. Um, so athletes and gut health is very important. So there, I can't tell you how many races are lost, you know, by having to go into the porta potty. So that's one thing that if you are an athlete and you're having gut issues, diarrhea, constipation bloating gas in your, in sport. And this happens a lot in endurance athletes. Like you should get it checked out and I can help you out with that. So if we can figure out kind of a solution to that, then, then you'll be better off. So fixing your gut outside of the race is as important as fixing your gut during the race. So there's a lot of things that we can do during races to help you out. But if we can improve what's happening in your gut functioning before the the race even starts, then you're gonna be better off in your performance. And this even goes for folks that are, you know, in power lifting or whatever it is, if you aren't able to absorb the nutrients, if you're, if you're taking like tons of protein in, but you're not able to actually absorb that, or if your gut is unhealthy, then you're just not taking those nutrients in. So you might be working out, you might be, you might, you might be lifting, but you're not going to see the same benefits because your gut is not healthy. And so we can fix that first and that'll improve your athletic performance for sure. Awesome. Makes sense. So tell us, uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Salt Lake? My favorite restaurant. Okay, so I have a few different favorite restaurants. Um, I love R and R Barbecue, which is I think an awesome place. Good but stuff. that's that's pretty good. Um, so I love I love that. There, I love Vessel. So Vessel is there's one coming in on Ninth and Ninth, which I'm pretty excited about. Vessel um, is a pretty awesome restaurant that is more like kind of cafeteria style. You can kind of pick and choose which items you want to put in, but it's all super high quality, tastes great. And it's quick, so that's that's a that's a new favorite. There's that those are those are a couple. Um, let's see what else. Guilt, guilty pleasure. I also love, um, which is right across the street or right around the corner from both of us, is sushi burrito. It's not something I want to eat all the time, but I love a good sushi burrito. <laughs> so. Yeah, you can't go wrong, right? <laughs> yep. Awesome. Do you have a local bucket list item that you've been wanting to do in Salt Lake, or you pretty much done it all? Oh already? man, I mean, I guess <laughs> I've done almost everything. I mean, I'm local here. I've done a lot. Let's see things that what would I have a bucket list. I I recently wanted to get up to the tallest mountain up behind the university and kind of the that there's a there's a trail kind of that goes like past the shoreline kind of like this little kind of black mountain is what it's called and I hadn't been I'd never been up there I'd been close and so that was one that I checked off recently this summer so that was that was a good bucket list I took my dog up there and so that was fun. Awesome. This might be a tough question for you because you love to do it all, but what's your favorite outdoor activity in Salt Lake? My favorite outdoor activity in Salt Lake? I um, my fa- I would mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that would be my favorite. 
I love, I love the climb. Mm. I am not a big fanatic of the downhill. Like it scares <laughs> me. I don't like going fast. Right. My skills aren't that great. Right. But to be honest, I love when I'm up in the up in the, you know up in the scrub oak or up in the pine, and and I've been cranking on my pedals, and I just get this huge like just burst of like just like joy when I'm mm-hmm. just pushing it hard mm-hmm. and I'm able to get to the top and it just feels really good. One of the, my favorite places to do that is actually in park city, the Armstrong to Pinecone trail um, is like the best setup of trail. And you hit, you get to the top of that crest after like climbing for two hours and there is like nothing better. Like it's fun to go back down the crest. And I know people love doing that for, for me climbing to it. Mm. I love it. It's the best. Awesome. What's your number one tip for staying healthy? Number one tip for staying healthy, we haven't talked about this, but it's going to sleep, mm. sleeping more. So people often ask me, like, how much do I need to sleep? I'm like, well, how much are you sleeping right now? And they're like, seven hours. I'm like, more than that. So whatever it is you're doing, like if you can sleep a little bit more, you're going to be better off. So getting high quality sleep, definitely going to be your best um, for, your, for your health. And it mainly is because it feeds, it feeds into everything else. So sleep is going to give you better motivation if you don't sleep. You have, you have low impulse control. You're going to eat crappy foods. Your willpower goes down. So if you can sleep more, you're going to, your body's going to heal. Everything else is going to just kind of fall into place better. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like sleep is easy to give away. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's watching Netflix or talking to friends or scrolling through Facebook on your phone, it's really tough. And I have the same problem as everybody else. But if we can get into that, that habit of sleeping um, and a high quality sleep, it's going to change everything about what you're doing. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, where can people find out more about you and your business? Yeah, so um, best thing to do is just go to my website, which is kestrelwellness.com. Kestrel's K-E-S-T-R-E-L wellness.com. Find all the information about me, about my plans, how membership works. And if you ever have any questions, I do have kind of discovery calls too. So you can sign up on my website for a, for a free 15-minute kind of phone or video chat to see if it would be a good fit for us. I would rather, you know, we do that ahead of time, make sure we're going to be a good fit long-term than, than kind of wasting your time and, and, and figuring out it's not going to be good for you. So that's the best way to, to learn about me. Thanks. And uh, you're offering a special to listeners as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I am. So anyone that um, comes from Stay Healthy Salt Lake podcast will get half off their enrollment fee. So Check that out. That's $50 off of their enrollment fee, and, and we'll, um, we'll hook you up with that. Awesome. Sounds great. Uh, so be sure to um, get a hold of Dr. Kestrel and check out his services. He's, he's an amazing uh, guy, an amazing doctor, an amazing athlete. So I'm sure he'll be able to help you guys out. And uh, thanks for listening to Stay Healthy Salt Lake and stay healthy out there. Thank you for listening to the Stay Healthy Salt Lake podcast brought to you by Hall Physical Therapy. At Hall Physical Therapy, we help active adults and athletes get rid of frustration, regain mobility, and get back to running, lifting, CrossFit, and playing the sports that they love without the need for painkillers, injections, or surgery. Visit our website at www.hallpt.com. 
where you will find articles, videos, and free reports that you can download to help you get started from the comfort of your own home. There you will find ebooks for topics such as back pain, knee pain, and neck and shoulder pain. These quick to read reports will provide you with expert tips, tricks, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. We also offer free discovery visits and phone consultations to Salt Lake Area residents. Just call us at 385-429-2018 or visit www.hallpt.com to schedule a consultation with us. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time on the Stay Healthy Salt Lake Podcast.